Welcome to the APL Next Ed Minipod, where for a few minutes each week, academic leaders share insights and perspectives on the most important issues and opportunities facing academic teams. Learn how other schools are managing and strategizing for success as your host, CEO and founder of APL Next Ed, Kathleen Gibson, gathers and connects practical seeds of knowledge and experience from her guests. Welcome back to this week's episode of the APL Mini Podcast. Uh, we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Nicole Parsons Pollard, uh, who is the Associate Provost for Faculty Affairs at Georgia State University. We had a tremendous conversation about all of the innovative work uh, that she is doing with her team, how the efforts around DEI are not only uh, supported and given credibility by executive leadership and a sort of top-down approach, but are also really coming up uh, from grassroots uh, efforts and initiatives. Uh, One of those being uh, a study that was done by faculty in which they identified over a two-year period some very specific goals. Uh, It was a terrific first part of a conversation, so good that we decided to make it two parts. And so here we will now begin uh, the second part of our conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think that is so key, how you see the connection between having an understanding of best practices on that search committee and recognizing first your own bias and your own, you know, what, how do I need to show up for this process? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, how do I find someone who aligns with the values of this institution and who is going to be able to contribute and to be an excellent resource for the service we provide, which is, you know, teaching and service and, and, and scholarship. And, but to your point, then seeing your job is going beyond even making that higher, but making that person feel a part of the department, making sure that that person feels that you are rooting for their success, that, that they, they're a part of a team, they're a part of that shared uh, not only shared governance, I love to see how, think about how shared governance sort of parallels to shared mission, right? And so how this, this idea of shared mission, when you, when you come together, um, all together uh, around a mission and what kinds of things can be achieved when that happens, despite, despite other, other sorts of uh, differences that may exist, it, it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. You talked for just a second about data. You talked about looking at your your data from the coach, the Harvard coach survey. Um, this sort of leads into the next set of thoughts I'd love for you to share on, and that is Georgia State has been renowned for the last decade for being innovative and using data to, to really move the needle. I mean, you were so right when you said, you know, we we're action oriented. We get stuff done here. That's our culture. That's, you know, that's our mission. That's what we do. It sounds like you're having that same sort of mindset and success with initiatives related to DEI. Can you talk a little bit about the role of data? And can you talk a little bit about how in these college plans, action plans, and in the faculty uh, study that's being managed by this committee, how they are identifying, measuring, and achieving goals? Are they using data? Are they, uh, what's the strategy behind sort of moving from idea to action? Well, I think to, to your point, you know, being data-driven is 
not only is it important, but in particular, you know, it's an entire institution full of researchers. And so it might behoove us to see what the data actually shows. And so um, one of the things that, so for example, let's take the coach report. Um, when we receive the data, you met with the coach team at Harvard and they walk you through it and tell you how um, others have utilize this information to socialize the information across the campus. And so you had to make some decisions. And so one of them was share the data or not share the data. And the provost was like, well, why wouldn't we share the data? So the first thing was we took the report and we put it in, in our learning management system. It's available to every single faculty member. You can log in, you can uh, play with the data. You can, you can go and find you know, because it's so granular, it can be so much that um, you can look in there and you can see not only what the differences in satisfaction about certain things in regards to rank, tenured versus non-tenured, assistant professors versus those who are associate in full, mm -hmm. um, across gender. And then in particular, there's a rating for what they call URM faculty, underrepresented minority faculty. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see whether or not any of those intersections for us in higher ed make a difference about the experience that people are having mm -hmm. has been so key to mm -hmm. being able to determine what do we do next? And so, as I mentioned, each one of those colleges, each 10 of them, they not only do they have different cultures, they have different populations. Mm -hmm. And so you could, one of the first things we did is we said, we need other reports. Each college needs to have a report. Mm -hmm. So originally we had a university report and then we had one for perimeter college. Mm -hmm. All of the other colleges received a report and using that data, they were able to then come up with very pragmatic things. Yeah, that they, they are. Do. Yeah. And could do in the middle of a pandemic. And mm -hmm. I keep trying to add that because while it feels normal, sometimes you, I jumped out of the car the other day to run into the CVS and I said, oh, my mask. And I went back because just for a moment, it felt like a normal day. Mm -hmm. And so we all have these moments where it just feels quite normal, but we need to also understand that where we are right now in regards to the pandemic, people are still feeling pressures, not only at work, but in their home lives. And so understanding that burnout is actually real. Oh, and sure. there was a great report that came out and I can't remember, I think it might've been an ACE report and it was on burnout. No, that was inside higher ed because mm -hmm. we talked about that, that mm -hmm. burnout report. It was so informative and we've been using that information to make sure that while we still get some things done, that we hope that it's not too much pressure because right. quite frankly, first and foremost, we're there to educate students right. and being able to do that is important. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. The burnout is the, the physical implica uh, implications of it, you know, I think we think of burnout, oh, I'm just tired, right? But there are huge physical and cognitive and emotional consequences. And particularly in a culture like ours, you know, where we have this 
crazy work ethic, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, we are physical bodies too. Um, and our minds are made up of physical material too. And, you know, you can't run things indefinitely without there being stress and strain. And so you, you've got to stop. So I, I love that you're, you're balancing sort of a very ambitious sort of agenda, uh, with very specific sorts of goals with an understanding that we're, we're doing this in, you know, very, very different sorts of times. Can you give the listeners a few examples of some of those practical goals? I just, I loved reading through them because I thought, you know, these, these are the kinds of things that you can say, yeah, yes or no, we, we did this. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things that um, came out in our coach data, which is, again, directly connected to that sense of belongingness that needs to oftentimes take place um, in order to retain high quality faculty is um, mentoring. What we found is that um, most people said that they did not have a formal or informal mentor. They did not have know of a mentoring program in the college or the university. And so we have kicked off a university-wide mentoring program. And each of the colleges, they are developing their own mentoring program. And so at the university level, our role is to support them in what they need to do with their particular faculty. So there might be some colleges who decide to focus on people who are pre-tenure. There might be others who decide to focus on those who are at the associate level and just haven't been able to find the time to be able to dig in enough to be able to go up for full. Um, Or it might be across all faculty, tenure track and non-tenure track faculty, because um, our faculty who are in our non-tenure track roles, many of them do also do research and they do tons of service. And so figuring out how do you mentor people to be able to not only help them to develop, but also to show that you appreciate what exactly they bring to the table because we all have a different level of effort reporting and different expectations for our roles and being able to show that that is valued. That was one of the other things that came up in the coach report, appreciation and recognition and uh, the feeling that there was too much service. And so you talked about um, shared governance earlier. Well, shared governance with comes with it, comes shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so I know sometimes it, it feels extremely daunting because you feel like you're, you just go from committee meeting to committee meeting to committee meeting. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that we need to ensure that it isn't the same people showing up at every meeting. Right. And you've been in that where you go and you just, it's, you know, you're like, well, I'll see you at the next meeting because the same people end up volunteering to do the same types of work. And so we're also going to have colleges look across um, their service workloads. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that came out of our reckoning with, with Black lives and equity and diversity was a conversation about the impact that women Uh, people who are parents, we're all having a very, we might all be in the same pandemic, but we are all having a very different experience. And so when we talk about things like service in higher ed, what the data shows is that women and Mm -hmm. faculty of color usually do more service. Mm -hmm. 
And when it comes time for review and for promotion, what's valued least Mm -hmm. that same service. Mm -hmm. And so um, we are utilizing the ACE's uh, document on, um, on inclusive, I think it's called inclusive service. Oh, I knew I was going to forget the name of it, but it's a great document. Anybody that's listening, just type in ACE and uh, service workload and it should come up or go to their website. It's a wonderful document that lays out the things that we need to be thinking about so that we can have a conversation Mm -hmm. about not only valuing and recognizing that work, but also ensuring that those who are not doing their share do what they're supposed to as well. And so as a faculty member, you, you mentioned it, it's the scholarship, the teaching and your service. And if you aren't doing all three, then the reality is, is that you aren't doing your full job. And so we wanna ensure that we do things like have, and there's some really practical examples, rotating chairs of mm-hmm. committees. Not only do you get fresh ideas, you don't burn another person out, but it ensures that the person who will hide behind other people and not contribute has to step up and contribute. And so that's just one of the simple recommendations um, and things that are coming out of some of these college reports. And, um, and those things are going to be powerful. There's one other I wanted to mention because sure. I thought this was so um, valuable. There was a study that was done and they looked at um, a, a number of searches. And what they found is that even if it were co-chairs of a search committee, as long as at least one of the search members was a woman or a person of color, you ended up with a more diverse pool automatically. Mm-hmm. So these are very simple things mm-hmm. that we can enact mm-hmm. that will have great impacts. And so those are some of the things that we're doing and some of the ways in which you can use the data and the research and the studies that are out there in order to be able to do some of this work. Yeah, again, uh, you guys are definitely setting an example across the nation for uh, the right way to do this and having it sort of come up again from units like the colleges and universities, but also faculty groups, but also having the sort of upper echelons as a resource to support and give credence to and give credibility to these sorts of efforts. Um, The mentoring programs seems absolutely key to um, making different kinds of faculty feel as if they have the support and the resources and the affinity uh, with the group and with the mission of the institution to to, to make it their home, the appreciation and recognition. I think, you know, sometimes it's easy to just throw faculty under the bus for some people. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, we rattle off uh, teaching scholarship and service as if, you know, yes. And, and we still live in a time when we're requiring all those things. But when you look at how competitive scholarship is, and when you look at how challenging teaching is, especially in a time when you're absorbing all of the, all of the emotions of your students in a pandemic. And when you look at um, all of the work that's involved in service work, it's, it's a, it's a full plate. And I think this is another conversation that we're seeing on a national level is, do we have our priorities straight? Are we, are we sending messages to faculty that are setting them up for frustration because you can't achieve 
the level of, of excellence that you want to, when you have three priorities that have equal, you know, equal sort of weight, are we also to the point you made about women? Are we setting up uh, the system in a way that creates this imbalance? And so I think there's a lot to talk about in relationship to, you know, to that, but some of the practical things that you've shared have been, have been, uh, very inspiring. And I hope I'm, and I'm sure the audience will, will uh, benefit from hearing them. And certainly audience take a look at um, the commission reports and some of the resources that are available on the Georgia state website. Cause it, there's some rich content there that I think, you know, if this is something you're, you're working on at your institutions, again, Nicole and her team and, and the group at Georgia state are really leading in terms of, I think, best practices here. Last question I want to ask you really is, um, mostly centered on your preparation for the work you find yourself in today. So you had a criminal justice bachelor's degree. So obviously did a lot of work and study there. You did some student affairs work. You've done some academic affairs work. You did some uh, now doing faculty affairs work. What do you think prepared you most to do the kind of work that you're doing to have the kind of impact you're having to lead and really, again, help create on a national level the standards for how these goals and uh, outcomes are going to be set and measured. What, what prepared you most for that, Nicole? So my first um, academic job was at Virginia Commonwealth. Um, love my institution. Uh, as you mentioned, three degrees from there. Um, I always tell people the first time I went there is because I didn't know what else to do. The second, <laughs> the second two times was purposeful because it's such a great place to be and such, such a great institution. And so my first job was also there. I was fortunate enough that my uh, dean of my college was on my dissertation committee and he um, asked the chair of my committee, who was at the time in the provost office, in the role that I sit in now, and um, he said, well, what is she going to do when she leaves? And she said, well, you know, we're going to send her off because quite frankly, this was the period in time in higher ed where you didn't want to hire your own. Now we've reached into a new realm where we're like, we need to grow our own. Mm -hmm. And so very different thinking back then. And um, he said, well, I think we should, we should, we should hire her. She, she's good. And I was there and loved it as a student did not love it so much as a faculty member. And that was really difficult for me mm. um, to come back and, and to my colleagues, to see them in a different light. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as a student, sometimes we, we make idols of our faculty, mm. um, which, which is nice, which means that they really right. did their jobs. Right. But I was not prepared also for the change in our relationships. Mm -hmm. And I also found that I loved teaching and I wanted to go somewhere that I could do some teaching, some service and some research mm -hmm. and not have one completely right. valued more than the other. So I took a job at Virginia State University, which is a historically black um, university in Petersburg, Virginia. And 
we have a lot of conversation about um, HBCUs. Um, you know, the, you need only Google the data. The reality is, is that most uh, African Americans who go on to receive advanced degrees most have a degree from an HBCU. Most Black doctors have degrees from HBCUs, mm -hmm. and all of the things that those types of institutions give to their students, they actually gave to me as a faculty member. Mm -hmm. um, they they helped to give me confidence. Mm -hmm. um, they supported me, gave me tons of opportunity, and. I also had the opportunity to work with some really great colleagues who I remain friends with today. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that when I got there, they had been hosting a conference on disproportionate minority contact in the criminal justice system mm -hmm. in collaboration with the Department of Justice. Uh, I'm sure I'm bungling the name of it, but it, it's, a, it's a state department here mm -hmm. in Virginia. And they... Um, and so that was the first, my first introduction to that issue. And I got pulled in. My, my colleague, Dr. Isis Walton and I uh, ended up with a grant. We did peer mentoring for one of the court service units. Um, our students were the menti mentors to students who had been adjudicated as truant. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up writing uh, a book, an edited volume um, on on disproportionate minority contact in the criminal justice system. Uh, it ended up with a second edition. Wow. But, but all of these things were possible because I went to an institution that valued having conversations about what was happening to black and brown bodies. Mm -hmm. And we, it's also a land grant institution. And so uh, being a part of solving the problems of the community was really at the heart of the institution. Mm -hmm. And so being there, um, they actually, I, I was thinking about this the other day, they sometimes being a, um, an assistant professor, mm -hmm. people feel like they have to tear you down to build you back up. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes we have a little bit of academic bullying going on, but that didn't happen. Uh. They, they built me up. They mm. didn't tear me down. They, mm. um, gave me a sense of belonging and, um, and it was the thing that I, I love that Brene Brown refers to the, the belonging is um, requires you not to change who you are, but requires that you be exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was able to do. And that was a really great experience for me and would not be sitting here today had I not had that experience. And so it's one of the things that I hope that each day when I go to work, that the Office of Faculty Affairs also does for each faculty member at Georgia State as well. Oh, that's great. How inspiring that you had this personal experience that you're now able to translate into very practical sort of action items, um, but also with a mindset. And I can tell just by your demeanor and the way you talk that you, you love faculty, you want to support them, you want to see them succeed. And how, how wonderful it must be for the faculty there to have that sort of a approach and that, you know, it, this isn't 
collecting data to, you know, sort of shake our finger at you. This is collecting data because we want to make this a better place for you to thrive. That's, that's really exciting. I have to do a little plug for ACE because I love the ACE Women's Network. And I know you went through their fellows program. Yes. What was that like for you? It was wonderful, though. One of the things we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. Um, and I, while I know it's often about we often talk about it in relationship to women, mm-hmm. um, men have it, too. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things that when I went to do it, first of all, my, my provost, um, Dr. Weldon Hill, had been an ACE fellow. And so mm-hmm. he was adamant that I needed to do and have mm-hmm. this experience. And but if this was the best and the brightest uh, in higher ed, the, the people who were coming up, I got a chance to see how do I stack up? Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Mm-hmm. What do I need to know in order to be better? And that was a really great opportunity. And it was a great opportunity also because um, coming from a historically Black institution, sometimes people sort of frown upon that. But mm-hmm. I always tell my students, even those who are in criminal justice, you want to go work in law enforcement, you do not want to go work for NYPD. You -hmm. want to go for a nice, small agency where you get to learn everything. Mm -hmm. And coming from an institution my size, I had an opportunity to be able to not only be seen, Mm -hmm. but tons of opportunity to do things that I would not have been able to do had I been in a much larger institution. Mm -hmm. And so... I sat in that ACE fellows program saying, oh, well, I've done that. Well, I've done that too. And you realize that you've chalked up all of these experiences <laughs> that when you're just at home grinding away, doing what you're supposed to do, you don't think about them. Mm-hmm. And I had an entire year to think about those things and mm-hmm. think about what they translate into and what I needed next Mm -hmm. so that I could make the next best move in my career. And so um, AC is a wonderful program. And and a gentleman who had been a president told me one day when I was at one of the luncheons and he had been like in the second class or something like that at ACE. And they were having their 50th anniversary at the time. And he said to me, the further you get away from the experience, the more it will mean to you. And he was exactly right. Uh, that's really neat to hear. I'll uh, have to send this clip to uh, Ted and to some of the other folks over there because I know they have a tremendous impact. And I always love to have people reflect on their experiences because it is such a such a neat program. And mm-hmm. it's terrific that the institution uh, was it Georgia State uh, University of Georgia, uh, Virginia, Virginia State, Virginia State, yes, that they really did invest in you and cultivate your talents and help you fill in your gaps. But then even to have the opportunity to do that on a national level, you know, really probably I, I would imagine gave you the confidence to to sort of take it to the next level. Right. I mean, there is I think all of us. I don't know all of us. I've certainly had experiences where I've had that imposter sort of, um, and it, it's always ended up the same, similar to yours where, you know, you start to listen and you go, Oh, I'm, I'm not so different from these people. In fact, there may be some things that, you know, I know that they don't know. And, but Mm -hmm. there is this esteem that we hold people in. And I think very often, um, compare ourselves unfairly. So I'm excited to hear that 
that that was such an impactful time for you. And certainly I think uh, Georgia State and even again, those of uh, you who are doing this work on a national level are going to benefit from from uh, the investment that Virginia State made in you and also the ACE or the ACE network. So uh, fellows program. So, well, this has been fantastic. Do you have any closing thoughts before we, before we sign off? And again, folks, uh, if you're listening, uh, you can find uh, more information about uh, the work that Nicole's done and the work at Georgia State and our speaker's notes, but uh, love to hear your closing thoughts. And then we'll, we'll say adieu. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to you, Kathy, for asking me to have this conversation. I think it's an important dialogue. I I just am like sending just love and light out to all of the faculty who are out there and are supporting our students um, during this time. I know it's tough. Mm -hmm. I know. And, And we're really doing our absolute best. Mm -hmm. And whether you live in an area where you are able to be online or or you're not able to be online and you have to be face to face the reality is is that you're not alone in this mm-hmm. and i think sometimes we need to slow it down just a little bit and right now i've also seen a lot of faculty writing letters to whether it's your state legislature or university systems. And I think that those things are so completely valuable because they will indeed be a part of the historical record of what happened during this time period. Mm -hmm. And so while I think many of us want things to change immediately, I think that things will indeed change. I think in regards to DEI, I don't think we can go back where we were before this. Um, that the, you know, as they say, you can't unring that bell. Mm-hmm. Well, this bell has rung mm-hmm. and I just want us all to be safe and to be well. And, um, and so I, I wish everybody the absolute best. It's going to be a great academic year. I, uh, can look out my window and I saw the students moving in. And because I started in the middle of the pandemic, it's the first time I've really seen uh, students uh, on campus and I'd forgotten how much I missed them. Yeah. So um, best to everyone and to just hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. I echo, um, you're our heroes, all of you who are on the front lines teaching and serving our students. And um, I hope all of you have the opportunity to have support like the faculty affairs office at Georgia state and, uh, under the leadership of someone like Nicole, cause, um, this is, this is what we need to, uh, make sure that our students and our faculty have the support and resources they need to, um, to be successful. So Nicole, a huge pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for making the time. Just wish you all the best in your new role. I know you're going to have tremendous success. I'm sure you're going to, uh, we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot of you uh, over the next few years. And um, we're excited to see uh, how you take uh, Georgia State to the next level and how this becomes an example and and a standard for, for the rest of the country. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, take care. Thanks. Well, again, tremendously inspiring conversation, uh, one in which all of us can learn a lot, uh, not only about practical things, but I think around uh, having the right kind of attitude and really um, seeing how each of us can 
be that conduit that makes those around us better. And certainly I think Nicole is a great example of that. I want to thank her so much for joining us today and for sharing these seeds of knowledge and experience with you, our listeners. A big thank you to our listeners, to all of you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to the APL Next Ed Mini Podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast available on Apple Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. We release a new episode, as you know, each week in two formats, a podcast and a video. So you're welcome to learn from our guests in either format. Visit us today at aplnexted.com slash podcast to access the full library of mini pod episodes. You can read more about our show guests there and see links to tremendous resources like some of those that Nicole shared today, as well as additional tools mentioned by other guests that we've had on the program. Uh, Until next week, uh, be well and take care. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to today's guest and thank you to you, our listeners. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. We hope the APL Next Ed Minipod is a helpful resource to you and your teams. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues. The APL Next Ed Minipod is brought to you by APL Next Ed the leading academic operations platform helping academic teams connect and collaborate in one place. To learn more about how APL NextEd is helping schools streamline academic operations, visit aplnexted.com.